0: Hey everyone, it's Allie. So, just like always, I wanted to start this episode with a story. But the story today is the one that I never wanted to publicly tell. But as Evolutionary's origin story, at some point it had to come out. So, here goes. After my seventh year in the classroom, I took a brief hiatus from teaching to follow my then boyfriend, now husband, Jesse, from Denver to San Francisco. When we returned to Denver a year later, I felt like I had finally processed the fire hose of my first seven years of teaching. My passion for it had increased, mostly because I discovered Ken Robinson. I'll put his TED Talks in the show notes. If you haven't listened, you must. And so I was ready to go back into a public school and just be a total rock star. I'm guessing you realize this is not what happened. We moved back late in the summer and I felt fortunate to immediately find an opening at a school that had a vision just bursting with everything I wanted. Student-centered practices, whole child this and that, learning expeditions, a a diverse student body. And then I went to the interview. At the interview, I learned that the vision, like in so many schools, had been derailed by the challenges of reality. To survive, like in so many schools, this school had doubled down on highly controlling practices such as silent mealtimes, extreme behaviorism with reward tickets and class dojo points, and other things that ran counter to the vision written in the innovation plan. And so we entered a period of negotiation. They wanted an experienced teacher, even though I kind of didn't fit the culture, and I refused to do class dojo. But fresh off of a year of break, I really wanted to be a part of a place that I could be part of something aspirational and help turn a vision into reality. I thought I had the energy to help do that. It became clear early on that this year was going to be challenging. In the past, I had had a lot of professional trust and autonomy. Suddenly, every planning period, my teammate, who was in her 10th year of teaching, And me, in my 8th year of teaching, had to meet with our instructional coach to unpack the standards of just one lesson from a curriculum we would be teaching. One. In the only free period a day, we had to plan. Most of the time, we didn't even get the full lesson planned. The sentiment was that we had to get these basics right before anything else could be added on top. So lots of planning happened on nights and weekends. Creativity in my teaching had been my secret sauce. And between losing that and constantly policing my students from the moment they walked in the door in the morning, it completely brought me down mentally, physically. And I left about two months into the school year. I felt destroyed, destroyed that I couldn't hack it. Destroyed that I couldn't figure things out fast enough to create the kind of learning environment my students deserved. Destroyed that I had to leave and inflict yet another trauma on my students, though I knew it would have been worse trauma for me to stay and implode on them. I also felt destroyed for all the wonderful staff and kids who were still there, trying to make the best of a situation that didn't feel life-giving for anyone. And when I wasn't feeling destroyed, it made me wonder... Why is it so hard, even with a school full of passionate, dedicated, smart people with an inspiring vision for what education could be, to fulfill that vision? And so I countered my feelings of impotence by diving into research, psychology, history, child development, you name it. And I realized that the tools at my disposal and at school's disposal were not aligned to the vision we all wanted. They were tools of the current system that was causing so many of the problems we were seeing, and therefore no amount of doubling down on them would get us to a new, more liberated place for learners or teachers. A new toolbox or map was needed in order to reach a new aspirational vision, and from that place of utter despair, failure, and pain, I set off to uncover a new roadmap and Edvolutionary was born. Through my research, I stumbled quickly upon the idea of play as a vehicle for motivation, deeper learning, and student empowerment. As I mentioned last week, I had no experience with it before this moment, and so I set out to uncover if it could be used within a public system with all its pressures and requirements. Innovation is a messy process fraught with failure, and you're about to hear a lot more about it (laughs) on today's episode. But you often can't figure out what truly works until you rule out what doesn't.
1: Hi, I'm Allie. And I'm Annie. And And you're you're listening listening to That's So Evolutionary, an
0: education podcast where we explore what teachers, psychologists, anthropologists, and the latest thought leaders are saying about what we can and
1: must do to transform learning environments so that every child has the opportunity to thrive in our world today.
0: Annie and I each have over a decade of experience in classrooms. And
1: we are still teaching and testing out ways to make schools work better for children
0: and for the adults who support them. Join Join us us as we evaluate the evidence,
1: dig through the
0: debates, bury bad ideas, gush over good ones, and build a roadmap for all teachers, whether at home, school, or in the community, to show what is possible as we evolve our system of education together. together.
1: And we're rolling. Oh, hey, Allie! Oh, hey, Annie! It's nice to see you after a little bit of a break. Listener, We just got back from spring break. Woohoo! I know I was in Iceland, and I wish I was still there. What yeah. were you doing?
0: Well, I was um writing podcast episodes, because when you are not in the classroom anymore, mm-hmm. you don't have a thing called spring break. I'm not, I'm not seeking pity right now. Don't you worry. <laughs> I I know the uh, strain and stress that I'm missing in yeah. not being there. <laughs> yeah, you so.
1: don't deserve one. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Well, okay. Um, now that my birthday was yesterday, and I'm now 40 years old, I'm an elder, <gasps> and I'm very wise. And so it's time to get to business. And so I want to jump right in, and the story that you introd us with um, got me to thinking about how people often default to what we already know in times of stress because there hasn't been a solid or cleared roadmap to doing radically different models of learning successfully in public schools. When I say successfully, I mean fundamentally changing how teachers teach while also meeting or exceeding the test scores. Required in our world.
0: That's a thing you have to do if you're in a public school. Yeah. So you mentioned there wasn't a clear roadmap, right. and I think plenty of people have probably found out about play-based learning, learned the research of how good it is for children, and tried in the past to leverage it to increase student engagement, achievement, independence, etc. And when it failed by some measure, whether in the execution of it or by you know, the test scores we were talking okay. about, people give up. And so I think it's important to imp- unpack why efforts towards play-based learning in public schools sometimes don't produce the results that we hope them to. Um, But if we then plan around those shortcomings, we can have a different result.
1: I agree. And listener, I feel like we've been teasing you about this um, topic of play now for for a few minutes. And I promise this story of play will have a happy ending. It just may or may not be today. (laughs) So let's start by telling everyone all of the reasons why play-based learning Often flops.
0: Woohoo! But just so you (laughs) listeners know, I personally have made nearly every mistake on this list. So if you tried it and gave up, or tried it and are still mucking around in it, know that there is no judgment, only empathy here. And
1: also, like, celebration. Yeah. I think about the crew challenge I did in my class today for a variety of reasons. And it was play-based, right? And it failed and failed and failed on purpose, as challenges are often designed, right? And Sam, who's just a smart little five-year-old, a six-year-old, and he was like, well, it's from these mistakes that we'll learn how to get it right. And uh, it's like, yeah, buddy, that is literally actually what the research says as well.
0: Totally. Yeah. And it's such a it's such a key value that we want kids to learn. And so often the structure of school doesn't allow teachers or students to feel like they can make a mistake. And so I love that you brought that up and I think it's great that we're intentionally baking that in.
1: Well, and as we learn what the mistakes are and we do them ourselves, we'll high five ourselves and be like, yep, that's right. How can I iterate this again in the lens of play based learning?
0: Well, and we have such a different. Um situation Annie where the last two years I was part time in your classroom and so
1: our classroom our
0: classroom, and so because we had this partnership because I was part time we had the bandwidth to experiment and so many teachers don't you know I was focused on just math most teachers who are teaching in a kindergarten or first grade classroom are handling a whole you know the whole day of subjects and so what I really see our role as is getting to Do all the failure ahead of everyone and then share with them what we find that works. Because there are golden nuggets that do work.
1: For sure. Well, and also the other side is, like, this is my 14th or 15th year teaching, right? I am somebody that just because of the way I was trained and who I am and naturally, like, I think I've always engaged in play-based practices. But while that may have succeeded, the curriculum side failed, you know, where I wasn't teaching anybody anything. But we had a lot of, you know fun yep. maybe that that's not even what our definition of play base is anyways but now with time and capacity and all of and all of these things we can play with both so yep. anyway getting to the reason why yep. yeah play
0: Yeah, so lots of empathy if you're on this journey or if you've never tried it but had the impressions um, against it that I had before I discovered it. This will probably validate some of your conclusions.
1: Oh, perfect. And also maybe it gives you also (laughs) some ideas of what we mean when we're talking about play-based practices. Because, again, sitting in interviews, and I said this last week, there's a lot of people that still don't have a mental model that's shared collectively about what this is. So... A lot of work to do on this episode, okay? Yeah, and if we do validate your conclusions, we will definitely change them later. (laughs) That's right. We will (laughs) unvalidate them next week.
0: Okay, so here it goes. Five reasons play-based learning often
1: flops. Annie? Number one there's often misunderstandings, like I was just even saying, of the term play-based, right, which can lead to more management issues or lower quality of learning. For example, you might have a ton of centers and rotations built out or, you know, materials to support curriculum that are incredible and have engaging hands-on items. And yet, there's no real purpose, right? That's not attached to targeted specific goals or really built into, it's just fun, right? Yeah. That's not what, you know, is going to really move that dial a savvy teacher really can have a lot of different purposes that may look unpurposeful to others, that right? Is so true. So if I think about a center where it's like somebody's working on letters and there's just a tube of Play-Doh and somebody comes in and they're like, this isn't rigorous. So there might be very intentional design around fine motor development or sensory issues, et cetera. But I do think we often get into a lens where somebody has something that's really fun, but it isn't Always thoughtfully connected to a goal that is going to help students in some social, emotional, or academic way is what I guess. I
0: love that you said that, and I and I wonder how we create uh, the conditions where people can put things like that out and not feel like they're going to be right. You know,
1: which judged. just comes to the capacity yeah. and like learning different ways, which is why we're here. Yeah, but you also see the same idea of like misunder you know misunderstanding the term play based, which is that idea of you may have really engaging things in centers again, but students that don't have choice, right? So it's like you must do this. You must do this fun activity. You don't have a choice, yeah. which as we talked about last time, the element of choice is key in, in yeah. getting play base. So yeah. if that makes sense, which yeah, leads like, to an engagement and management issues and et cetera. Totally. Is unengagement a word? That's not a word. Non-engage- disengagement.
0: Disengagement.
1: Okay. I'm a literacy teacher.
0: Yeah. Cool.
1: Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> okay. So that was number one. Okay. What's your number two?
0: Uh, number two play based learning can often lead to chaos. Fact.
1: I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh huh.
0: And <laughs> the reason that it often leads to chaos is because it requires a lot of time to build routines for independence. You cannot just throw kids in, you cannot change the structure on kids trust me as i've gone through this innovation journey and part of innovation is trying new things and unfortunately when you're working with young children who need that structure in order to navigate and feel safe and everything innovation can be very disorienting and can lead to chaos so the important things are that you stay to a consistent routine, that you build student stamina over time. So in my, I think, fourth year of teaching, I discovered the Daily Five, which Mm -hmm. just to give an overview, it's a structure during reading time where the teacher can pull small groups and the rest of the class is independently either reading or doing word work or reading with a partner or something like that. And there's a very structured way you roll it out and build stamina over time. And You, as soon as the structure breaks down in some way, you stop it and you regroup. If you don't do that and you just keep going, (laughs) then students come to expect that it's going to be chaos. So you Mm -hmm. have to set that intention up
1: front. I just had a flashback to <laughs> my first year teaching and you know I wanted to be the fun teacher and we were gonna do art and all these things and I'm the magical witch and all of this, and and it it was a it was a time and it was a chaotic time. And one time specifically I was like, I'm gonna bust out the shaving cream and we're gonna write all the letters and the sh-. so great. And I didn't think through all of the things that go into doing I mean teachers across the world use shaving cream, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't really think about it. I just squirted mounds of shaving cream on tables and within minutes somehow this seemingly simple idea (laughs) turned into giant slip and slides and like the kids were running across the room to see how far and I'm on literally on top of the tables now screaming I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown everybody stop and my now ex-husband came in and was like what the fuck is happening and then I cried under the coat rack so anyway chaos even to the best of us
0: Yeah. yeah well and it's you know kids can 100% one hundred percent, get there with the independence. It is, it is a hundred percent investment, and I have seen it for you know, sure. I have seen it with the difference between daily five and the difference between even in the past couple of years when I switched things up frequently and totally disrupted that sense of order. For
1: yeah, them. yeah, for yeah. sure. So that
0: was number two. Okay. is not taking the time to really build in the routines for independence. A hundred percent, and uphold the expectation of what yeah. that looks and like, and building stamina.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay, number three would be not sustainable. Most curriculums provided to teachers focus on the whole group or have just a couple related games. There's often like an activity bank and you know like play buzz or zap whatever. But <laughs> if you want to have resources that meet the needs of all learners and fill in the gaps, then you have to spend a ton of time researching Pinterest and Teacher paid Teachers. Oh your gosh. neighborhood witch down the down the hall, and you're wondering all the time if you've covered everything. It's not sustainable. Oh my gosh, that used to
0: be my um, pre not pre-married life, because Jesse and I have been together a long time, but literally my life before I was in a relationship mm-hmm. and I had to put the kibosh on all my Pinterest time, oh, was yeah. researching, was trying to find games. And in math, what was always really hard is, you know, you have those different range of learners and, you know, you're given a particular goal for whatever unit you're on. And if you have kids who are missing something from before that, that's not related it is important sometimes yeah. it's hard to i mean sometimes the curriculum doesn't provide it and you have to go down those rabbit holes this is why we're,
1: we're we're writing things and making books and doing things i understand we're not giving you the flip to this flop but like just yeah. just know we have ideas listener um also i'm happy to say that my pinterest no longer has teacher things that come up anymore it's wow. all really cool shoes you know there's like the algorithms <laughs> that are like now they're into these really cool shoes, but one time as a joke, I looked up shoes with painted toes on them. I don't remember why it made sense, what? but now the weirdest shoes come up every day, and it just brings me joy. I feel like that
0: used to be one of the pictures we post on social media <laughs> yeah. this year.
1: Oh, week. I have a collection. Great, you're, you're going to have to send, send them, them to me. I've been sending them to Chris, our, my principal, for every day because <laughs> she's horrified and must have I'm, done
0: I'm sure most yeah. of us will yeah. be too. It's fun. Anyways. moving on (laughs) okay so that was number three it does not feel sustainable number four um hard to monitor student understanding so what i mean by this is that usually when you have a structure for play based learning the teacher is pulling small groups and the students are working independently now how do you as the teacher know that students are practicing correctly um you often don't. I mean, you have to move around and see, um, which you can do, but if you're also trying to pull small groups at that time, it's really difficult to manage that versus a direct instruction approach where, you know, you're looking over, uh, I apologize, listeners, I am having a computer beeping. She's so popular. I know. My husband is just sending me pictures of backpacks for our next trip. And (sighs) that is unfortunate because I lost my train of thought. Um, I'm... (laughs) Um, What was I saying? It's often hard to balance working with small groups and making sure everyone around the room is practicing in a way that they're practicing correctly. Um, And that is why I think we often default to technology. Well, technology or direct instruction for everything. Yeah.
1: Okay, number four, hard to monitor student understanding. Yeah. Got it. Number five, it's about the standards, baby. Um, How can you make sure you're covering all of the important standards um, and that students are getting everything that they need? often they make the same choice over and over and over again. I can speak to these letter ponies that I have. I was like, these are going to be so playful. I'm like shocked every day that the horses don't like go on gallop races or fight. Like they're using them for the same thing. But I'm like, you can read. Why are you going to this? It's not in your center bucket. You shouldn't be doing it. You can play with it at choice time. Why do you continue to get the capital and lowercase letter match? Which I, I, I realize, listener, put it away. The answer is put it away. But I have kids that need it. Anyways. Yeah. So she's not working on something that's really outside of her or in her zone of proximal development. She's doing something. I, I mean, I guess you could argue that she needs it. I don't think she does. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I can name two materials that I can think of. Uh, so my first year in our classroom, uh-huh. I brought in those wonderful Montessori metal incest. Oh, God.
1: They would have played with those for nine oh, years. Oh, oh, forever. <laughs> forever.
0: Forever. Forever. <laughs> and it wasn't everyone. It was the same four kids. Yeah would do them over and over. The other thing that I can think of that kids would do to no end is making thousands scrolls. Oh, yeah. So that isn't even a particularly hands-on engaging thing. (laughs) I just printed out a bunch of blank 100 grids, showed them how to make a, a thousand scroll,
1: Yeah.
0: and that entertained for
1: days. Now I would argue part of it, like A, there's something about rote number writing like kids love it, always have. <laughs> but also that piece of like taping the papers together. Yeah. That is a play based practice. Well here's know? the
0: thing, is I'm not saying that either of those are 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 not good. Right. Like kids should do that. But every day? But but the question <laughs> is, is how are you ensuring that they are covering everything when they attach to
1: something that they find particularly enjoyable. Exactly. And with the other side of that is like you could say, well then, skilled teacher, it's your job to figure out how are you leveraging arts and metal inserts and whatever throughout across the content. No, we already told you in the past number three (laughs) that it is not sustainable. (laughs) And so there's not a system that is like providing choice and providing all the standards yet um, to, to get to this. I'm sorry, I can't not flip the flop alley.
0: <laughs> Anyways,
1: that goes Anyways, back to standards, right? Um yes, the,
0: that goes back to standards and you know, even if you have if you have a way that you know that you've covered everything, which was always a a big pain point for me as a teacher is I would find all these exciting things and then I would think, "Oh my gosh, I still have all these other things to cover." Anyways, even if you have all the things how, how are you organizing it so right. that kids are going to hit all the things by yep. the end of the year? Um, so these all seem like weighty, weighty problems. A that, lot of wont That would uh, derail <laughs> anyone's highfalutin ideas of I play-based mean, learning.
1: Unless you have hope and zest, right? Yes.
0: <laughs> well, Annie, we do have good news to oh, share. Oh,
1: you, Because we think we have found the cheat codes for all these problems. Yes. But, listener, guess what? You will have to come back next week to get them. (laughs) That was good. That was a good laugh.
0: (laughs) That was a good good laugh. Do you have a witchier Uh. version? Because aren't you? (laughs) This is Allie. This is Annie. And you've been listening to. That's
1: so evolutionary.
0: Hey, teacher listeners. So I know this isn't exactly the time of the year when we're creating our hopes and dreams for new ways of doing things. You're more likely in cruise mode or survival mode from now to the end of the year. And we get it because we are or have been in your shoes. While we release these episodes, we also wanted to offer any support we could for the stage of the year we're in right now. No matter if you're thriving or surviving, you're probably craving ways to navigate the end of the year with clarity, ease, and engagement with students. So we created a resource for that. It's called End of Year Ease, and it's for kindergarten math. We have a tracker that allows you to see all the most important end of year mastery standards and plug your students in on where they fall. In addition, it has hands-on games and activities for each of those main standards you can print and use to help students towards mastery of that given skill. You can find it at edvolutionary.com E-O-Y, think abbreviation for end of year, or through the link in our Instagram bio. And while you're on Insta, give us a follow and a like. We'd love to get this message and these resources out to more folks. Ta-ta till next week.